just as a point of personal privilege, I'm so thankful to be in a church that doesn't mind if I sit down while I preach um, <laughs> this week and maybe next week too. We'll see. Um, it is just blessed that you guys are uh, so caring and, and tolerate my crazy personality. Um, <laughs> so, turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 12, it's where we'll begin this morning. We'll be in verses 28 through 40. Before we go to the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning, as we come to your word this morning, we celebrate this time of year, the time when you became man and were laid in a feeding trough for the sole purpose of taking on the sins of your people. We are thankful for the words you gave us while you were here for the things that we can read in your word, for your infinite wisdom and clarity and just the, the things that you've shared from us, the way that you taught from the word, we are thankful. So Lord, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would help us because we are not often wise, not often clear, in fact, we just need our hands held most of the time. And so we pray that you would come do that with us now as we learn from your word. Please convict us of our sin that we might grow closer to you. Teach us what we ought to know about you and how we ought to live. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So as I read this passage this week... It made me think of these headlines that you've all seen, and not, they're not really headlines. Headline makes, makes us think about news. This is nothing to do with a headline. This is like, uh, you know, some kind of clickbait thing where you're like, uh, you know, when you see it, it says, she lost, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. You know, she lost a hundred pounds by using this one old trick. You know, you've seen those, and you're like, what What one trick? And you really want to click it, but you know better. You should know better. Or, he made millions by reading this one strange book. It's always strange or old, or there's some sort of adjective describing the one thing that they need to know, right? And it makes us be like, hmm, what strange book could that be? And it's obviously the one that they're trying to sell to you that was written, like, last year, you know. They always make it sound like you're being sent into some back alley to find, you know, to be given the five magic beans for your old cow, hoping that you might grow into this beanstalk so that you can climb it and fight the giant and get the money. You know, it makes it seem all shady and magical. We like things like that for some reason. We like things fast and easy. We just do. The promise is always alluring every time we see it, even just a little bit, even even when we know better. 
It's oftentimes like that when we read the Bible. It can be like that. I remember as I was preparing for my ordination exams, I had some flashcards, and they were meant for like children's Sunday school. And uh, the flashcards, had, well, there was one for every book of the Bible, and it had a picture on the front, and on the back there was a one-sentence summary of each book of the Bible. And that is how I learned what all the books of the Bible were about. That one little sentence. And no kidding, when I was asked to tell the people, the guys who were examining me, give me a summary of the book of Nahum, I gave them that one little sentence. And I passed. Because it was quick and easy. It was something that I could, this nice, neat little package. It didn't require a whole lot of thought. We like things like that. Well... It just so happens that in our passage today, Jesus does that for us. He's asked another question by one of the scribes. And the the question is, which is the most important commandment of all? It's almost as if they want everything on one of the little flashcards that I had. Easy to digest. And rather than read hundreds of pages of God's word, they want it given to them in just one sentence that they can have. Well... Jesus does it for us. And rather than set us at ease with this one-sentence summary of God's Word, in fact, it does just the opposite. Everyone there was left in awe. And it should leave us that way as well. It should leave us wondering, how can I possibly do this? Well, as we look at this, we'll see that Jesus always gives us the way to do this. And He also shows us the hypocrisy of those who rely on their own righteousness for salvation. So as we look at this, I want to break it up into three points. The one thing that God requires of you. I'm giving you a clickbait this morning. The second point, the wrong way to please the Lord. And then lastly, the one way to do what He requires. And so with that, let's look together at the text Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. Please stand with me, or not with me because I'm not standing, but you stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies 
under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, just for context, this is Passover week in Israel and in in Jerusalem. This is a very busy week, and it would be common during Passover week for the people to have this kind of question and answer session with one another. Very similar to how we recite the catechism together. We ask a question, we recite the answer together. These are the things that we believe. It was, it's been common for centuries, right? And so what a lot of scholars think is what Mark is doing here in chapter 12 as we have this series of questions and answers is he's setting it up in such a way to show us that. We've been dealing with this sort of thing for the last few weeks. And this, again, this isn't unfamiliar to us. Christians have been using catechisms since there were Christians. Right? It's just a long time. It's a way to categorize and talk about the things that they believe. And so if you put it that way, we might have been a little bit hard on the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes because there was kind of a method to what they were doing, to ask questions. Now, to be sure, they didn't like Jesus. And they were trying to catch him in a trap with their questions. But the people around, this wasn't just a closed session between. There was lots of people standing around. They would have recognized this type of back and forth questioning as instructive. And we see this as you see the reaction from the people here. That they are instructed. They, they end up enjoying what they're seeing. And I, I want to bring this point out. As Jesus quotes from Psalm 110 here, we, we really could, the 35 through 37, could, you could preach several sermons on. Um, but notice when Jesus exposits that little bit of scripture and this, this short bit of his exposition that we hear the here, but notice what the, the people say. And the great throng heard him gladly. Why? It's because the people of God love the word of God. As you spend time with family over the holiday, let me encourage you, remember that. The people of God love the word of God. If you have family who are believers, encourage one another with the scriptures. Especially now, people haven't been in church as regular. People haven't been hearing it as regular. Some people don't hear it at all. And so encourage them. Again, I would love to be able to just go through this passage, this short little, that short little bit right there. And, but there's a lot of places, Psalm 110. In fact, it's the most quoted scripture in the Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. But I just love to hear that Jesus, his exposition here just made the people glad. And so hopefully as we go to the text today, we'll be made glad by hearing of the word of God. So that brings us to the first point. The one thing that God requires of you. Look with me at verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? 
So the scribes, we've talked about them before, but they're, they're experts in the law. You can kind of envision this guy holding back. He's been in the crowd the whole time watching this back and forth between Jesus and the different people who came to question him. He's been waiting to ask his question. He knows deep down that he probably has the best question of the day. All these other questions are nice, but his is the best, and he can't wait to answer it. Remember, he wanted to, the scribes, along with the other groups, wanted to dismiss Jesus' claims as being the Son of God. They didn't want Jesus to be able to claim this and for the people to believe that. And so what better way to do that, to dismiss his claim as the Son of God, than to ask the Son of God which one of his Father's commandments are the most important. It's manipulation. Think about it. It's trying to get him to show all of his cards from the very beginning so that he would have nothing left once Jesus kind of lays it all out there. He probably thought this would work. But of course, Jesus had him figured out way before the question was even asked. And so Jesus gives us, of course, an incredible answer here. Look with me at Jesus' answer, starting at verse 29. Jesus answered him, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. From here, or Jesus quotes from the Old Testament here as well. First, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in this text that is known as the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the reason it's known as that is because the word Shema in Hebrew is the word to hear. And so the first word of that text is hear, O Israel. It literally is the first word of this thing they recite together. They... Every Hebrew boy and girl, man and woman would know this text by heart and they've recited it hundreds of times in the synagogue and they, they know it. It is, it is kind of the motto for them. It's kind of like our kids grow up singing Jesus loves me and that sort of thing. They grew up reciting the Shema, God's holy word together. The second commandment that he quotes is from Leviticus chapter 19 where Jesus quotes from this section concerning how people should treat one another in various circumstances of life, that they should love their neighbor as they love themselves. And so for Jesus, the entire law, all those things that he has given, could be summed up into these two things. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're kind of arranged that way. We've been taught to understand this, where you have sins against God grouped and you have the sins against our neighbor grouped together as well. All the all sins, of course, are sins against God. I don't mean to say that, but you get the idea. But to hear this question answered so succinctly would have been different for all the people sitting around there who were used to hearing anything but nice, concise answers from people like the scribes who like to go on and on and on about nothing. Imagine if the internet had been a thing back then. There would have been This would have been a clickbait story for the ages, right? Jesus says one thing to please God. And everybody would have clicked on it and saw all the weird ads that went along with it. Now, of course, this one thing is actually two things. 
But you get the idea. This is this one idea that we have to love God and love others. This is the whole summation of everything the law says. But if this scribe, and for those listening, and for us who are listening, were hoping to get an easy commandment, an easy summary of the law, you know, like read your Bible, pray every day. Oh, I can do that. Good. Well, I can't even do that. But they were sadly mistaken that they were going to get something easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor, which is everyone, by the way, not the person that lives next to you, as yourself. If we're honest with ourselves, and we need to be, we don't love anything or anyone as much as we love ourselves. So the Son of God is asking them and us to love God with every ounce of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's asking us to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. How can we even think about doing that? We'll get the scribe's response to this in a second, but I want us to look closely at this command because we've heard it a bunch of times. I think we've heard it so many times that we just kind of glance over it and we think, okay, I'll get right on that. But it's an impossible task. We don't even know what it means, my whole heart and my whole mind and strength and soul. I can't even really comprehend that, much less loving God that much. And I have no comprehension of how much I love myself, so I have no comprehension of how much I ought to love others. This is compounded in our day in particular, and I think this actually just, if you just read the writings from any time in history, you see this same idea. But Christians today say these really odd, bad things like, you can't love God and your neighbor until you love yourself. As if that came from scripture and as if they were hoping to sound pithy and wise by saying something dumb like that. I came out of the womb loving myself. You didn't have to teach me to love myself. People who say stuff like that have never been around a small child. They are the most self-absorbed individuals on the planet. Now, to be fair, of course, they can't do anything for themselves, so that's fine. It's okay for them to be that way, but they don't know any different. The whole world is about them getting what they want. They only know themselves. They only know self-preservation. And it really doesn't change much as they get older. Just just go look at things like Instagram. Those people think they're the only people in the world and every one of us should be glad to know it. It's crazy. It doesn't change any. People are full of themselves. Absolutely to the top. Even the ones that say they have a really low self-esteem love themselves enough to say that. They can't stop thinking about themselves. We live in a world of self-love. So you'd think that if everyone was following this commandment, we'd all love God so much and people would love each other so much that there'd be peace on earth. Instead, it's the opposite. They love themselves so much that they hate others. They love themselves so much that they have made themselves their own God. Understand, the pro- our problem with this commandment isn't our lack of self-esteem. It's our overabundance of it. And you see that with the action of the scribes here in this text. And that brings me 
to the wrong way to please the Lord. Look with me at verses 38 and 39. We'll go back to 35 through 37. But I think it's interesting that Jesus has this time with the scribe, and then at the end of his teaching, he warns the people about the scribes. And notice his warning. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at feasts. And then it changes tone completely. Who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Again, it's no accident that Jesus follows up this interaction with the scribe with a warning about the scribes. He gives them a reason for his warning. He, Jesus gives them the law, love the Lord with their whole self, love others more than you love yourself. And then he shows how the scribes are unable to follow that law that he just gave them because they are so enamored with themselves. They like to walk around in long robes. If they had had cell phones back then, they would have been taking pictures of themselves in those long robes just to draw attention. Look at me. I'm obviously important here. They love to go in the marketplace just so people will greet them, not to do any business, but just to be seen, to put on their best long robe and go and be seen. And when someone saves the best seat for them, they can't wait to sit in it. They knew it was just for them. They love that others think they are great because it matches what they think about themselves. And if you left it off with that, you might just think, oh, self-important people, they're easy to ignore. What's harm? What's the harm in that? Well, you see the harm in that in verse 40. They devour widows' houses. What does that mean? It sounds really dangerous. Well, they use their influence over the people, their connections that they have to go into the homes of these widows. And the, the idea here is that there are women whose husbands have died and they have been left this money. And these scribes would go in under the pretense of, you know, I do this, this hard scribing work for nothing. And I really wish you would, you would help us and give us money. And so they go in and they manipulate these widows in order to get all of their money. They devour their houses. They swindle them out of their money. Reminds me of Christian TV today. They might even do it under the pretense of humility. Oh, it's, it's so nice. It'd be so nice of you to give me everything you have. There were laws. The scribes should know these laws that protect widows and orphans because of their vulnerability. Yet the experts of the law had their way with them. And rather than loving the Lord and having enjoying a conversation with him, they said long prayers in order to be seen saying long prayers. They're pretenders. That's it. And what does the Lord do with pretenders? How many times as we were going through the book of Isaiah, the first part of Isaiah, did we read about the Lord's thoughts on the pretenders of Israel? The scribe that talked to Jesus directly had the right idea. Because what did he mention? I know that we're supposed to do this and you desire these things more than 
burnt offerings because the burnt offering represents something that I have to do because when it comes to these burnt offerings, we're really just pretenders. In fact, the Lord has very much to say about those burnt offerings throughout Scripture. Turn with me to Amos chapter 5. It's right after Joel. Amos would be a fun book to uh, go through one day. I mean, it's not a lot of fun, but it would be good for us to go through it. Amos chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And this is the same context here. The same context here is there are a group of people who pretend, and this is what the Lord thinks about their pretending. And think about all the... All the pomp and circumstance concerning the Jewish religion, all the feasts, all the sacrifice, all the things. Verse 21, I hate and despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take, take away from me. The noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Think about this. These are the things that he commanded them to do. But all of a sudden he's saying, I don't want to see. Why is it? Because they've come to him from an empty heart. They're pretending they're going through the motions What does he think about this? Well, he says, I hate this. They are a stench to him. The songs that the people are singing, they are noise to his ears. So when someone says that they love the Lord with all their heart, with their lips, yet go and treat others horribly as a rule in their life, like the scribes were doing, They do not love the Lord. They're showing that to be true. And this has been a theme, really. Over the last few weeks, as we've been in the book of Mark, as he's dealt with the Pharisees and he's dealt with the Sadducees, this has been a theme. We looked at it even in the book of Romans. That you will know someone by their fruit. That someone can say one thing, but the way that they act shows them out. The scribes had a particular fruit. They devoured widows' houses. They were pretenders when it came to prayer. And this is unpleasing to the Lord. And we may be thinking now, okay, good, I don't do those things. We like to think that because it makes it easy on us. But here's the catch. We have to understand this about ourselves. None of us have pleasing fruit by ourselves. It's not as if he'll love our sacrifices and hate someone else's because I'm better, obviously. Mine are better than him. We know here that there are no good people. So if God requires that I love him with my whole self and love others more than I love myself, and I can't do that all the time, how then can I live? Well, the answer is Christ himself. And that brings me to the last point, the one way to do what he requires. Look with me at verses 32 and 33. So Jesus answers him. 
with those two commandments. And the scribe said to him, and I love this, saying this to Jesus, you are right, teacher. Thanks, scribe. I needed that. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than a whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe knows Amos. He's read his Bible. He knows what the Lord thinks about these things that are not given from from true heart. He, that's why he's that's why he's reciting this. The scribe knows, too, that when he talked to Jesus and he asked him this big question, that he had met his match. And so he he knows what's going on here. So he adds this bit about real fruit, actually doing what's commanded from a heart that wants to do what's commanded. And notice, I love Jesus's response to him because it instructs us as well. You have answered wisely. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, they were done asking him questions because he had had his way with the whole room. And we might want to know then, at this point, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Well, not far from it doesn't mean you're there. It means that you can see it, right? You're right. You're not far from it. And we might want to know, well, what's the one thing that I can do then to move me closer to the kingdom of God? You know that the man left there that day wondering, well, if I'm not far, then how can I get closer? makes me think of the rich young ruler that we talked about several weeks ago. What did Jesus say? You know, this, this rich young ruler runs up to him and says, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? I've done all these things since my youth. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you can have the treasures of heaven. Wow, that's a big deal, right? The one thing, though, was impossible for him because he loved himself too much. And many may have been left wondering that day as Jesus taught, okay, what's the next step then? And he goes into this exposition of Psalm 110, which is really the answer for us. Because in this Psalm, Psalm 110, uh, King David wrote this. They were listening to Jesus tell this Psalm. The people would have been very familiar with David's writing. They were listening to see that David all those years previous, actually wrote about the one who was teaching them there. That it was Jesus who would have his enemies put under his feet. Now in the Old Testament days, those enemies were physical. They were the Philistines for David, the Assyrians later, the Egyptians. In the New Testament, they still had physical enemies, right? Jesus wasn't talking about Rome here, though. He was talking about those great evils that have been around since the garden, sin and death. Why can't I love God instead of loving myself? Why can't I love others as much as I love myself because of sin? Before Christ, I was unable to please God because of all my sin. But in Christ, there is a way. And it's not about me. That plan failed. Instead, it's about Jesus. Because what did he do? Well, he became sin. He became my self-enamored self. So that I might become the righteousness of God. 
So how then can I move into the kingdom of God? How can I take that next step? Well, it was taken for me. Jesus, his righteousness. He did indeed love the Lord with all of his soul and all his heart and his mind and his strength. And he did love others more than he loved himself. Just keep reading. You'll see how much he loved others more than he loved himself. And he didn't do that so that I can be better at loving him. He did that because I can't be better without him. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. Understand, this settled it all. He took my sin and the father was just in killing him. And then he's the justifier because he's pardoned me according to the righteousness of Christ. So when I come up to these commandments and I see that I'm required to love the Lord with all my whole self and love others more than I love myself, I no longer see a death sentence. But I see life. We've seen this idea in Romans, right? We talked about it last week in Romans 7. Really throughout all of Scripture, the same theme is pervasive. When David looked forward to the Messiah, he saw forgiveness. He saw mercy. When we look back to him, we should see the same. And when we look at ourselves and we ask, how much do I love God? How much do I love others? We'll always find ourselves lacking, which is great because in that place, we see Christ glorified. We don't look at ourselves and think, wow, I'm great. We look at ourselves and think, wow, Christ is awesome. And it's okay for us then at that point to work at loving God, to work at loving others. In fact, we should be doing that. Every single sermon you hear me preach is going to have those two components in it, that you should be loving God, Christians, that you should be loving others, Christians, not because you need to earn your way to God. Christ has already done that for you, but because you are his, you should be following these two things that he considers the greatest things. It's okay to work on those, not to get nearer to the kingdom, but to show that you are already part of it. And so if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever or you wonder, am I far from the kingdom or am I near? The real question is, are you? Are you working harder to get closer? Do you want to know the secret to getting closer? You can't. You need Jesus. He's the only way. Call out to him. Believe he is Lord, that he was risen from the dead, and you can be saved, and you can be brought into the kingdom. And in conclusion, Christians, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let me encourage you this week, even as we celebrate Christmas together with our families, contemplate what that means. The coming of the Lord Jesus. He became man, died, rose again, that you and I can have eternal life. Love the Lord. And this week especially, when it's sometimes hard, love others more than you love yourself. Discover how much you indeed love yourself and then love others more than that. Seek out ways to love your family 
to show them the love of Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these commandments, it might seem daunting to us, in fact, impossible, were it not for you. You did these commandments perfectly, and then you gave us your righteousness. And so when we go to the Father, he will see that we have done these things. And we are thankful. Lord, help us to act as if this is true. Help us first to stop trying to work our way closer to you as we sit in your lap. And also help us to show others the love, the mercy, the care, the tenderness that we have in our Redeemer, our Messiah, and our friend. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.